0: Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to the Book Collector podcast. Today, we present one legend writing of another. John Carter's tribute to Percy Muir at the age of 80. It was printed in our issue for winter 1974 and is read here by James Fleming. Percy Muir is one of my oldest friends, even though I have only discovered within the past 12 months that the H of his middle initial stands for Horace. And since he has the advantage of me by a decade, I am delighted to have the opportunity of saluting him here on the occasion, or near it, of his 80th birthday. Since he himself has been prodigal of professional reminiscence, I can refer for many of the details of his long and distinguished career in the rare book business, to the series of articles published in the Book Collector between 1952 and 1964, or, oh, for those not foresighted enough to have shelved a set of this, to his book Minding My Own Business, Chateau and Windus, 1956. This, which concentrated mainly on Percy's years with Elkin Matthews Limited, was dedicated to J.W.C., initials which a few readers may recognise as my own. W, standing for Wainfleet, after the 15th century headmaster and afterwards provost of Eton, where I was born and later educated, and which I don't use on title pages only for simplicity's sake, not because I am not proud of it, which I am, just as I was, and remain proud of that dedication. My memory is disgracefully unreliable especially about dates, but I do recall very clearly my early meetings with Percy, who was then, it must have been, ooh, in the late 1920s, with Doulouse in Bond Street, and who shared my own rather untutored interest in modern continental typography and fine printing. I only wish I had bought more examples than I did of the work of Klingspor, Stolls, Laboureux, I do still have his chanson, Madicasse, surely the prettiest little book of this century, though I think I got this one from Douglas Cleverdon of Bristol, and the other, especially the German productions about which he knew, and still does, so much more than I. Percy Muir had many continental connections, not a few of them more than professionally close, among scholars and bibliographers like Dr. Georg Kinski, Otto Deutsch, and Ernst Jutro, as well as such eminent booksellers as Paul Grauper and André Poursin. He travelled extensively in Germany, Austria and France, and his catalogues, under whatever imprint they appeared, always contained a noticeable sprinkling of continental titles, a characteristic more unusual 30 or 40 years ago than perhaps it is today. He was an early enthusiast for the first editions of music, which formed a further link with the continental specialists in this bibliographically tricky field. And since this was a taste which I shared, the series of catalogues that I produced in the thirties for Scribners of New York owed many debts to his visits abroad in search of musical first editions, as well as to Otto Haas, later Albie Rosenthal, and to our mutual friend Cecil Hopkinson of the first edition bookshop. A further link between us was fostered by Percy's establishment of the original series of bibliographical notes and queries, to which I was an early contributor. In the end, I was using about half a dozen pen names. In due course, my New York colleague David Randall joined him as American editor, and the Scribner Rare Book Department undertook its distribution, always free, in the United States. Despite this shot in the arm... Bibliographical notes and queries faded out in 1939, not for lack of readers but for lack of the contributors on whom it had always depended, not to mention the war. It was only revived as a department by now well-known to all my readers in 1952 when the book collector, taking over from the fading book handbook, was born under the joint aegis of Ian Fleming, John Hayward and Percy himself. The entry for Percival Horace Muir in Who's Who, 1967, the latest I have at hand, discloses that after a varied career in business and as lecturer, journalist and author, he set up on his own account as antiquarian bookseller 1920. I regret that these early years remain a blank to me since I came to London to work only in 1927 when I came down from Cambridge. I wish I knew what he lectured about, or what parts he played on the stage. I know from experience that he is an excellent speaker, crisp, pointed, and forcible, and I have fancied that his faintly rakish style, including those idiosyncratic bow ties, retained a distant hint of the footlights. But whose hooves austere record does not identify any of the fruits of his always lively pen earlier than the familiar and long-respected volumes of Points, 1931, and Points, second series, 1934, in Michael Sadler's Bibliographia series. These were followed ten years later by book collecting as a hobby in a series of letters to every man, with a sequel of more letters, and then, after another decade, by English children's books 1600 to 1900, 1954. The list of publications does not, I am sorry to see, include another sadly-inspired project of 1934, the exhibition, followed by a symposiastic volume of essays on new paths in book collecting, to which he made two distinguished contributions. Percy and I shared a number of talented bibliophile friends at this time and later, among them, in addition to Fleming and Hayward already mentioned, Desmond Flower and A. J. A. Simons, joint editors of the Book Collector's Quarterly, Richard Jennings, the most fastidious collector of his generation, Roger Senhouse, one of the most omnivorous, and the inimitable reincarnation of Horace Walpole, Mr. Wilmarth Lewis. Yet among them, Michael Sadler was undoubtedly the most influential, not only to both of us, but to a wider group, encompassing such variously gifted companions as Simon Noel Smith, Dudley Massey, Graham Pollard, and rather later, Peter Murray, Dr H. A. Feisenberger, the late Dr. S. H. Steinberg, and Howard Nixon. Their task was the selection of books and other printed matter for the impact section of the exhibition, and it involved an immense amount of hard, an often strenuously argumentative work, for which its chairman provided a most admirable and fully appreciated combination of qualities. He was exacting but understanding, firm but flexible, deferential on points of opinion, but decisive in matters of judgment, so that the sub meetings, a good many of which I attended, were always, while remaining fully serious, easy-going, and well-salted with laughter. The sponsor of each ultimately accepted entry had to produce the explanatory note for the exhibition catalogue within a limit of 80 words. The result was, indeed, a remarkable exercise in compression, as was generally recognised. But the opportunity to give fuller rein to this talented crew was before long provided by the decision of the Supervisory Committee, after IPEC 63 closed to entrust to Percy Muir and myself the preparation of a more ample, illustrated record of the impact section, which duly appeared in 1967, London by Castle, New York by Holt, Reinhardt and Winston, in a handsome folio with a double title page engraved by Reynolds Stone, just in time for Stanley Morrison, as its original begetter, to inspect the first copy on his deathbed. As one of its two editors, I hope I may nevertheless be allowed to say that I think it is a fine thing, and I hope Percy is as proud of it as I am. It received a generous salute in 1973, with a recreation, on the 10th anniversary of IPEX, of the impact section of the exhibition, organised by Professor David Randall at the Lilly Library, Bloomington, Indiana, one of the most generous lenders to the original show ten years earlier. Printing and the mind of man was a logical culmination of many of the bibliophilic interests that Percy and I have shared in common over the years. Another, of course, is represented by the book collector itself, whose board I was invited to join in the emergency days of 1955. But if I feel nowadays that my own energies are flagging, I have every confidence that despite the pressing claims of his garden, and his increasing reluctance to set eyes on London, Persimure will continue to maintain during his new decade those contributions to the enjoyment, instruction, and enlightenment of the bibliophile world which has owed so much to its predecessors. That was James Fleming reading Persimure at 80 by John Carter, published in the Book Collector in its issue for winter, nineteen seventy four. Tune in next week for another Book Collector podcast, and in the meantime, visit thebookcollector.co.uk and subscribe to our journal. It's less than the price of a Netflix subscription and far more valuable. Visit thebookcollector.co.uk today.